Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before I introduce our guest today, I'd like to remind our listeners to follow us on Twitter, where we pre-stream each episode on Twitter Spaces the day before publishing on all major podcast platforms. For the platform list, visit our website, blockchainrecorded.com. This episode is dedicated to the Web3 Stronger Together ecosystem initiative and its first virtual summit, which took place between March 1st and March 4th, 2023 in Evelyn's Metaverse, a virtual platform uniting several hundred Web3 leaders and thinkers, over 100 projects and speakers, and over 5,000 attendees from across the world. The purpose of Web3 Stronger Together, with which Blockchain Recorded is a proud media partner, is to demonstrate to the crypto community that the Web3 ecosystem is strong, solidary, active, and committed to furthering innovation despite the status of the market and nature of price speculations. It emphasizes the importance of fairness, inclusivity, diversity, and sustainability to furthering healthy Web3 fundamentals. The summit included many panel discussions with assigned topics, which Blockchain Recorded is redistributing in audio form. The 8th panel discussion on March 2nd and 17th panel overall explores DAOs and democratic participation. The speakers were David Owen Morris, the co-founder of Raptorium and a Crypto OG, Andrew Sales, host and CEO of Coffee and Crypto Morning Show, Aidan Smith, the co-founder and COO of TechAid, and John D., otherwise known as Midnight Crypto, the host and founder of The Midnight Show. The panel continues to define a DAO, its challenges, and use cases. The speakers also discuss voting practices, proof solutions such as zero knowledge, and concerns with respect to usability, compliance, and education, among other related ideas. The following is the panel's discussion hosted by John of The Midnight Show. We do apologize for potential audio drops due to choppy internet connections. We edited the recording to the best of our ability. Uh, let's introduce ourselves. I think that's always uh, a key start, right? So... Whoever wants to go first, I think ladies first always, right? <laughs> Gentlemen, uh, my name is Ashington Ryan now. I'm the co-founder of Tech8, Web 2.5 company. We like to call ourselves new humanitarian aid distribution. A lot of big words to basically help donations get to the right people transparently. We do. That's what I do. Nice to meet you all. Yeah, I could go next. Uh, I'm David Morris. I've been in the blockchain space since the very beginning of the blockchain space. I've worked on architecting different solutions for blockchain. I've helped develop several voting systems and I can give some historical perspective on uh, what we call DAOs here as I've been part of it from the very start where it started on Dash. Okay, awesome. Uh, I can introduce myself, or does Klaus want to go? We, we we can't hear you, but Klaus, we can't hear you. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you now. All right, sweet, sweet. So uh, my name is Andrew Sales. 
I've been in crypto since 2017. I, I run a, a, a Web3 company called Coffee and Crypto. We do a morning show on Twitter every single day at 10.06 a.m. Eastern. And uh, I've actually launched a DAO myself. That was my very first NFT project, a DAO called Solads back in uh, December 2021. And, and now it's evolved into what my current brand is. But uh, I'm excited to get into this conversation and, and, and really dig into DAOs and, and bounce some ideas off each other. Oh, that's that's awesome. Um, I'll introduce myself. Um, well, I'm John. Everyone calls me Midnight Crypto. I've been in the space since '09. Like, I wonder why paper was available, but I wasn't uh, as uh, you know, I was a student back then. So I run a company called uh, The Midnight Show, and I run a few other companies outside of crypto as well. And yeah, I live and breathe a bit of crypto, so I've got really high level knowledge of pretty much uh, the space. So I think I'm looking forward to this just to see what everyone thinks of DAOs and how we're doing and where we're going next and the future. So um, in concept of, you know, a lot of like, we've got a lot of competition out there and, and you guys, well, you, Andrew, you said you've got your own DAO. What, what do you think are the challenges that we're facing at the moment? And how, um, if this goes to everyone actually, how can we improve in these challenges? Well, I, I think the real challenge is getting people to understand exactly what a DAO is. Because if you say like DAO to your average person, they, they're they pretty clueless on it. And then even if you say decentralized autonomous organization, they're, they're like, okay, well, what's that? <laughs> and, and so like you, you need to find a way to explain it in, in real world terms that somebody can, can, uh, can wrap their mind around. So like the, the first DAO I ever started, it was a, a group of us, we were buying blue chip NFTs and owning the vault and each NFT was, was fractionalized ownership over this vault of blue chip NFTs. So the the way, and, and we onboarded probably about 200 people to, to Solana NFTs that had never invested in in, in NFTs before. And and, the, and a lot of them had never been in crypto yet. And and the way we explained it was like, well, imagine if you were able to, to buy the Mona Lisa, it's not realistic that you could spend a billion dollars on the Mona Lisa, but maybe you and 10,000 of your closest friends could pull your assets together, buy the Mona Lisa. And now as the Mona Lisa goes up, your fractionalized ownership, uh, the value of that goes up with it. And then I was like, now take it a step further. Imagine that the Mona Lisa goes up to 1.2 billion. We flip it. We take that that you know 200 million profits, go out and buy a Picasso. The the Mona Lisa dips. We buy it back, and now our our vault of, of fine art has has two assets that are are, are worth money and, and they're appreciating value. And that was like our theory with with blue chip NFTs. But I noticed when I phrased it like that and, and put in a couple of real world things and gave them examples to how this specific DAO is, is going to give you access to something that you know you normally couldn't do on a grander scale. It was kind of like an aha moment for a lot of people that had never even heard the term before. No, that's that, that's absolutely right. And um, you know, I find it fascinating that we 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 do need to actually define to people what we're trying to achieve here, right? So, decentralized company is essentially you know what we need. But uh, how do we get there? And how do we convince comp uh, um, you know the the average Joe or the the people that own companies now traditional market? to get to a decentralized company, but then a lot of these people want to have the power. So how do we remove that power and, uh, you know, think, let them think of the future because the future is decentralization. I mean, um, a, a lot of people are very put off by participating in DAOs on EVM chains 
because voting, for example, is transparent. It's possible to be hung out to dry for having voted for something, having voted against something, or not having voted. For things to move forward, you need to have real, proper, private voting. Um, something like, for example, the Aura Protocol developed by um, Aram Jivanyan and Ruben Yap from the Firo Project, where they make use of zero-knowledge proofs for voting systems. Um, not necessarily exclusively used in the context of DAOs, but I mean, um, it, it's nobody's business if you voted, if you didn't vote, or what you voted for, or what you voted against, because otherwise it's just another tool for peer pressure and bullying into doing this and doing that and listen to the influencers. And we come back to the same issue, right, that we had before, where, you know, the voting is manipulated. I exactly. Let's Okay. Uh, you keep cutting in and out. Shoot. Okay. Let's try it. You keep coming in and out. So, you know, the, the good, what, what I'd like to see is, you know, I want to, my idea of a DAO really would be when we have a um, safe and effective way to working with like-minded people without the judgment in between of you selecting who you want, who, who you want to vote for, what you want to do, why you chose this route of this path, you know, like, uh, it's done of no one's concern. And I think, you know, you were right about Ethereum, but you know, who's, um, who's going to be the change? Who's going to be a powerhouse of this change to get DAOs moving and be, be more appreciated? Um, I mean, I think some of the first people who who take something like Fiero's Aura Protocol and implement it somewhere. It was originally designed as an option for a referendum uh, where their project steward is from, um, because the opposition, or well, not really opposition, but several politically active people there would like something where there was no chance of encumbrant politicians tampering with what was going on. And this was one mathematically solid model for basically checking that voting has taken place um, and for checking that the results that come out are correct, but at the same time preserving people's privacy. I'm helping set up a DAO now. Um, we've got a project team building uh, the first dot finance on our layer one project, RTM, and uh, I'm helping structure a DAO for that. And we hope to bring in basically all aspects of the community. We've started even in a before alpha phase where people are going to, who helped with the very earliest testing, are going to be rewarded with governance tokens for participating in it. And we're going to scale that up slowly along the way, along with a couple of, yeah, sales as well. But mm. looking forward to seeing how that goes. Once we do get to the stage of voting, uh, we will have the, we're going to try to implement Aura for the, for the actual voting. Okay. No, that, that's, that's quite interesting. But as you know, like, you know, Bitcoin is generally considered the first fully functional DAO, which has like some inbuilt program rules that function uh, autonomously. It's very far from correct. But, you know, as history says, as history you know. <laughs> says, the first Bitcoin foundation were a group of loud-mouthed, semi-scammy people who got themselves into a position to manipulate the vote. 
Well, yeah. that that doesn't make it any less of a doubt, though. A uh, 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 vote, a governance, governance, right? Yeah. Well, if someone has more power, if they have more influence, and that that you know they have more influence, there's not much we can do about that. You know, they got the votes fair and square, and people came. They people believe in in a system and then voting for it. Then that's not really. It's like a democratic vote, and it's like in the UK, a lot of people didn't want to vote Brexit. But then we won by a small, minute, minor vote, and then we kind of got Brexit. So we left the EU. You know, it's the same thing. Unfortunately, it's it's one of these things. They still consider it as a doubt. But maybe you know, maybe I'm wrong here. But it's yeah. you could call it a foundation. You can't quite call it a doubt. All right, I I'm gonna I'm gonna chip in here. Can you guys hear me? Okay, now. Yeah, perfect. Finagled yeah. with things. Okay, one. Yep, this is much better. <laughs> awesome. Sorry about that, everybody. So I will say, coming from. You know, I've built many failed DAOs and some successful projects as well. So I come from a slight critical view of DAOs. Uh, but David, one of the things you said was that uh, without private voting, it kind of leads to the the fear of the masses, right? Um, criticism, bullying, uh, social pressure, and interacting with with freedom of speech, really, right? But one of the things that drew me to DAOs was largely the audibility component. Um, so I come from a compliance background. Uh, I've worked with enterprise traders who have to literally communicate every single transaction they've made in the last year to the IRS. Um, and that's become a major issue. Um, when you look at DAOs as a form of audit trails or transparent access to information, that's what draws me. I don't think that DAOs are going to be um, replacing governments anytime soon or, or massive corporate boards or paper voting, but I'm really interested in them as a mechanism for capital management and information management, especially in supply chain. I just want to throw that out there, see what you guys think. I mean, uh, the system I mentioned is fully auditable. You just can't link it to individual participants. But um, the question is here, how do these, so like, say I've got a bit, uh, I've voted and I, I'm doing it through bit. I'm just going to use Bitcoin as a, as a, uh, an example here. How are they going to know my address unless I've, I've made it public? Well, you wouldn't, you'd use a zero knowledge proof. Zero knowledge proof is basically a cryptographical function where you can prove that something has occurred without direct proof of it occurring mm -hmm. they can choose to let you in and see them creating the transaction or something like that with a view key sure but that shouldn't really have to happen if there is an irrefutable proof of it having happened without that step what if i use a privacy token are they going to prove it then if we're going to do it through Min uh, from, from monero if we're going to do if you're going to vote say using monero it's a privacy token and uh, Monero is useless for this and they don't use zero knowledge proofs. They use a system for basically distributing a lot of fake transactions on their own network. So you can't see what's what, Okay, uh, which is completely different from, for example, how Zcash or Firo or Komodo or someone like that, they use ZK snarks or versions of ZK snarks in Firo's case. Um, which are technically uh, a much better solution for something like this. It's auditable. You can prove that the supply hasn't changed. You can prove that something has moved from point A to point B, but you are not 
it's it's there is control of the proof. For example, you would have to take your view key and show me that you have sent some coins to an address I designated earlier. I wouldn't be able to see where those coins came from. Hmm. I'd just be able to verify that they came in and they're the correct type. Okay, because there's like obviously that we've got all these top, you know, these uh, these DAOs at the moment that have, and uh, you got uh, MKR, and um, what makes them different to the others, you know, amongst each other? Because you know, you, you said um, some have uh, loopholes to you know to, to remove privacy, but how do we? Because um, I'm quite interested in this because I, I I like the freedom of speech, the freedom of voting. I don't want anyone to say to me, oh, "Why did you vote this politician?" or "Why did you do this?" I just don't see you know why why well, it's uh, it's nobody else's business yeah yeah so who's going to take over um or who's going to be the pioneer sorry about that baby's just very crying <laughs> well on, on a political level i i think blockchain voting is is, is pretty easy to to implement and, and and it doesn't even have to be called a dial right it's, it just would be blockchain voting and, and and really all you would have is everybody each citizen would have like an id which you know will for for friendly web two terms we'll call it an id but in, in web three terms it would be a wallet and you go on you place your vote you can see on the blockchain that you know this wallet voted this way but you don't know who owns what wallet so you still have your privacy there and then you could even have it with smart contracts to where when um you know, when you die, your death certificate is is automatically updated on the blockchain, and 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 that that wallet's ID is 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 revoked from voting. So, like I I think it's pretty easy to implement and and make private on a on a national level. But I mean, uh, what you just described here, the government who issue you with that wallet would still know who owns it, and unless well, yeah, you are using that. unless you are using some form of privacy in the issuance of the wallet i mean uh, you don't really have the rights you are constitutionally guaranteed to have unless you have the rights to exercise them without oversight no i i i, I think you could could still have it issued you know privately to where you, you don't know who who's tracked to what or anything along those lines and and from there it's pretty easy to manage the long term and then even the the death certificate could be a, a soul bound token to where you don't know who that specific person ties to until that that id is you know taken out of the system i'd like to to kind of point out a nuance that david just brought up shows that you don't have a right if you don't have access to it which i think is really interesting and poignant right now um one of the reasons so tech aid our, our company um when we originally envisioned it was very much a doubt structure it was about having the ability to visibly track donations to improve accountability and and transparency and and the humanitarian aid sector because we don't really have that right now. But one of the major issues I had long term as I kept trying to make this work was that access was poor to the technology and the user experience was nowhere near where it should be to implement this um, with non-digital native people. And so to me, I'm like, all right, well, I love the the vision of democratic voting. I love the vision of, of DAOs, right? But at the same time, if I have to understand an emerging technology at its core to be able to use it, then is that really accessible? In many ways, no. In many ways, not at all. I remember the problems I had learning client interface Bitcoin before there was a GUI for it. 
it was it was awful downright awful to put it mildly and i mean you can also go too far because you've got a lot of users today who willy-nilly get into crypto metamask makes it too easy to run a wallet metamask puts the wallet in an awful position inside a browser which is a very vulnerable position from a technical perspective and a lot of people lose money because of that that's having gone much too far in the other direction you've got to find somewhere in between like a good quality standalone wallet tool i i realize that that's not as user friendly but um unless you want to sign over control of your internet browsing experience to a company like komodo or someone like that then there is very little chance of keeping metamask different forms of wallet connect etc working in a reasonable manner so i i used to think like that man because like i that's what brought me to the crypto was bitcoin and, and decentralization and, and all that but then i just came to the reality that in order for mass adoption to happen it, it's got to be a user-friendly experience because like your average person just doesn't care about most of the stuff that a lot of us care about that are here right now and, and so like, i remember like when i when i first used the phantom wallet for solana it was weird to me because i was like dude that was that was a little too too easy and, and then i was like i didn't like that and then i slept on it and i was like hold on like easy is what's gonna bring on a lot of people and i was like i think they're they might be armed or something over there and like that's what got me interested in, in solana in the first place like i'm gonna know a maxi by no means i play on all the chains but i i think easy is good you know we need to make it easy for people that's how we're going to get more people in the ecosystem and, and have the ability to build out stuff that that can really make an impact so like i i, I think we got to accept that like this stuff has to be made user friendly yeah but absolutely it has to be made user friendly but at the same time at what price because what kind of a percentage of the users at the moment uh, end up with a positive experience with a net positive experience out of 10 users two or three maybe we we need to hit five six seven eight then we can actually start talking about growth i mean also what you mentioned about it being easy and accessible that's one of the good things about nfts and tokenization because you can the use cases for nfts and tokenization are limitless Uh, You can do stuff like publish traceability information, you can publish quality certificates, you can publish all kinds of things on-chain. You can get people to buy into that and use that as a driver to understand and learn about technology. But going from where the space is now to mass adoption is not going to happen. Uh, It's pie in the sky. But if we focus on things like tokenization, making tokenization easy, not having to use smart contract to issue a token, being able to issue a token on the protocol layer inside your wallet. You can view your NFTs inside your wallet on your desktop. You can add them to different web platforms as you want, but the keys are controlled from your desktop wallet. Then we'll have come a long way. uh, We'll have come a very long way. I mean, the economy at the moment is in the dumps pretty much globally. 100% 100% agree with that and I mean it's, it's very difficult for us to to steer it in, in the right direction because uh, our voice is still uh, you know we're still not being heard we, 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 we can't go out and ask people to accept crypto as a payment because it comes with compliance issues 
as what Aiden mentioned earlier. We we can go out and ask people, hey, look, I've got this really cool web form. You pay three bucks for filling in this web form. I will make you a token on my blockchain. And uh, you can put a QR code that links directly to that on your product. You can get people to do that and to take that risk and move forwards and forwards with that now. But but the whole payments and mass adoption, etc., it, it's got to be driven by something usable and tangible. And and payments payments are a very ethereal thing. They're a huge investment for people to get into, both yeah. in terms of time, energy, resources, and a small business who accepts meta, uh, ETH payments on MetaMask and then gets hacked. How happy are they going to be? Oh, they're, they're going to they're going to undo all the good. No, absolutely. We got to talk about liability too. I mean, especially in the crypto space, we love talking about how everything is going to be revolutionized and we're going to change the world of e-commerce and how people interact online with payables. But then we don't talk about where the liability goes, right? In traditional investment, there are compliance laws, there's a regulation, there's there's gateways to access for those things, specifically because people don't understand the liability and risk that they're taking on when they interact with traditional investments. And so I'm very I'm kind of curious because, you know, I walked into this being like, yeah, we need access, we need better user interface. I've never considered it where the poor user interface is actually Sticking as a, a safe rail for people because you can't use it unless you really understand what you're getting yourself into. Yep, and mostly the losses are due to the use case, right? And people don't understand it. So the biggest issue that we've had in, when we're educating users is, you know, they go into, say, Honeypot Project, but they didn't understand what they're getting into. It just sounded so good. And then the reason they go into crypto was because, you know, her, their friends did a thousand X. You know, and, uh, you know, that was the lucky one because not everyone does a thousand X, you know, probably they go in a minus or lose all their funds because they're going into the wrong project. So, you know, compliance, education, uh, we have a lot of big issues that we, we, we can't really get people to, to come together and address. And every time we get these, um, you know, say like, I'll say CZ here to, to educate users, users are really they're going from following some scammer or they're following someone else that's just gained influence and they just change tactics for every time it's a bull or a bear right so you know we we, we're having we've got a lot of issues to address in general so um you're right you know it's not about is the usability as well but it's uh, the education is a big part of it well, I, I think there is a uh, a place for both, right? Like, and as somebody that like to be totally transparent, Bitcoin is my biggest back, and 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 I it's what I'm most bullish on long term. I I want that those extra steps involved there, just because it's like, yeah, that doesn't need to be user friendly because the idea behind that isn't meant to be user friendly. But then I I think to where the these other chains like Ethereum, Solana, BNB, AVAX. If you're a project founder, you want the whole process to be user friendly because that next where you're you're onboarding a lot of people under under your project. So like I think there's a balance for both, just because meant based on the use case of, of that particular network of, of how easy it needs to be. And and I and I, I, I do I do think that education is crucial, right? Like and that that's the only way to to get working towards math adoption is really just educate people, make them feel comfortable. Cause even what we consider friendly user interface really isn't friendly to your average person. 
I'm going to throw out some ideas. I kind of have this weird vision where long term, I don't think DAOs are going to be something that the average consumer interacts with. I think they're very much going to be a tool of supply chain management. Um, and I kind of want to ask you guys what you think about that. I look at things like IBM Food Trust, which are using on-chain transactions to track global supply chains with frictionless transactions, right? So they're able to very quickly share information in a standard format with a high degree of accuracy and traceability. To me, that is a mechanism of communicating information that makes sense to me like that. That makes sense for DAOs, especially when you look at security protocols, implementing something like, they don't want to get too technical, but like role-based access control or attribute-based access control to something like that, that allows you to see where people voted slash sent their information, right? And so I, I hope that that's where DAOs end up going is this kind of like unsexy underlying infrastructure that I don't need to interact with because I'm just you know, ordering something on Amazon. I don't, I, I don't know. I've, I've spent the last two years in this space and I just, I don't see, I don't know how much I trust a reality where mass adoption looks like fractionalized ownership of giant assets. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I guess why would that be? I think, I think like just tracking stuff on the blockchain makes sense, but why would it be like a DAO to where there's, there's boats on it to where it goes? I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah. Uh, at a very small scale, Democratic voting um, is very easily just a receipt mechanism for transportation information. So I can say, yes, I got this thing. No, I don't want this thing. Um, and you can very easily, again, at a micro scale, use smart contracts to manage where information inventory goes, who has access to the information of what inventory is where based on who needs it. Does that make sense? Uh, not really. Not really. Okay. All right. Keep going. Um, I mean, e EVM is very limited by... If we we're talking Solana or Kadena or if they ever deliver on it, the Haskell <laughs> contract Cardano are looking at, Solidity is not sufficiently developed to, to be something that you rely on. It, it doesn't have things, basic things like Viracode, for Python and Java, for checking for overflows, for checking all the way through this and that. Hyperledger are working on some very good tools. However, they are still dependent upon the core consensus people who are developing Solidity. Very few of the Hyperledger developers actually contribute towards Solidity. It's Ethereum chose to reinvent the wheel instead of work with a lot of really already available good tech. They're either Cosmos or Atom. I can't remember if they're the same thing, but they are using... Same, same thing. Oh, okay. Uh, good. They're using Wasm, uh, which is WebAssembly Java engines, essentially, to replace. They can do so much more, and they can do it a lot more securely. Um, there's things like Apache Spark, which is what we're going to be using for contracting, which already functions as distributed global apps on the backbone of the internet at the moment, stuff like Twitter. They run using Apache Spark. Everybody got very enamored with Solidity and EVM. Yeah. 
but it's been nothing but problems, really, the whole way since then. How many billion were lost this week to hacks and exploits? Yeah, uh, well, quite quite a few. But we're starting to close, and uh, we're starting to wind down now because we're on time. But uh, if we can actually add a few things, you know, like uh, just just to close the session off, um, I think you know Cosmos is doing very well because it's actually utilizing both uh, Hyperledger and uh, Ethereum GVM technology. So it's kind of like hybrid in hybrid mode. So I'm not sure how they're gonna do in the future, but you know. It's nice that you mentioned Cosmos because I'm quite bullish on their, their tech and how they're working. Anyway, uh, let's all, everyone, you guys just have a few minutes or a minute or so to just to like, you know, let's, let's close this up, wrap it up, and then thanks for being here. Okay. So, David, yeah, you can just say. Okay. Well, um, I think that DAOs, the first DAOs that implement private voting, are going to have a real solid future ahead of them. And I mean, it depends on. The, the purpose of the DAO has to match the actual use case for it. I don't think fractionalized ownership is is a good use case for a DAO. I think that regular tokenization can accomplish the same thing uh, and can do so a lot better because you'll be in direct conflict with a lot of U.S. securities laws if you do fractionalized ownership as a DAO, not just U.S. ones, but European ones as well. I mean, some of the things I'm planning on doing, we're going to shut out the EU and the US because it's it's not worth dealing with the hassle. Something that I'll discuss with you, I think, after this call, I'm, I'm quite interested to know what, what you're actually doing. Um, who, who wants to go next? Because we've got a few, like, couple of minutes left and then just let's just hear everyone's thoughts, just the closing statements of what DAO is and we leave everyone with a, a bit of thinking once we finish this call. <laughs> Uh, closing thoughts. I think long-term mass adoption of DAOs is largely going to be driven by private chains and private use cases of, of democratic voting. My major concerns are liability management and access management, access to information as well. I think DAOs are not going to look like what they currently look like in 10 years. Um, I'm really excited to see where they go. I am confused and excited to see where this technology goes i think i'll leave it at that <laughs> that's amazing andrew yeah so uh you know I'm, I'm excited about dials in general i i think probably one of the best most common use cases we'll see is something we didn't even talk about but businesses actually being ran as dials it'll be essentially co-ops to where You'll, you'll have your ownership. You probably even work in the business, this or that, but it, they'll be voting on, on the direction of it. So I, I think that'll be one. Uh, if you ever want to interact with the dial in the space, my project, Coffee and Crypto, we're, we're always doing a morning show at 10.06 a.m. Eastern on Twitter. So check us out. And uh, we do a few things dial-wise and, and web-free-wise. Awesome. Looking forward to speaking to you after this. Uh, no, look, uh, in a sense, uh, I think DAOs are going to change because they're not, they're not as... Uh, uh, well, as, they're not as well ran as they should be, and some people have more power than others, and um, that will change in the in, in the future because it's not supposed to be that way. It was it started as a privacy uh, structure, and then it turned out to be a more of a public way. Whoever has the power can control it, which is not right. But you know, like uh, Edney said, you know, can't wait to see what the future brings. And uh, thanks, guys, for being here. You know, uh, hopefully next session uh, we can uh, elaborate a little bit more on uh, what DAOs bring. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. Have a good Thank one. You. Thanks, guys. 
Thanks again to our guests and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks also to the Badiam Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on badiammusic.com. All of the supporting information is on our website, blockchainrecorded.com. You can listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode.